It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. Fox News Radio Studios in New York City. Fresh off the set of Fox and Friends. It's America's receptive voice. Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. I hope you had a great weekend. I know it's uh, a holiday, Martin Luther King Day. And I know many of you have different schedules, so I appreciate you putting us on the things to listen to list. Senator Joni Ernst is going to be with us live. That'll be great. And Patrick Morrissey. Patrick Morrissey is the West Virginia Attorney General, along with 15 other states, uh, sued the federal government to not have private businesses have a vaccine mandate. They won. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. I think the administration made some mistakes at a macro level. The first was buying into this prevailing narrative that a lot of the problems at CDC and owed to the Trump's administration and their mishandling of those agencies. The second um, challenge I think that they bought for themselves was federalizing this in ways that they didn't have to, particularly with respect to the vaccine mandates. Dr. Scott Gottlieb saying it like it is, get it together or get out of the way. That's the message from Dems, yes, on the Biden administration's COVID response. As a fed-up American public grow weary of the lack of tests, the mixed messaging and policies, and the statements that are flat out misleading the American people. Number two. Mansion and cinema. And they are holding up the Democratic agenda. They don't care about minorities. They don't care about blacks. They don't care about people in their own districts. Why does she not be held accountable for her horrific statements? Voting. Dems are using MLK Day to push back against the Republicans' push for voter integrity, pretending that it's 1870 or 1960. How moderates like Mitt Romney and Bill Cassidy are leading the way for Republicans to really define what this is all about. Number one. He's had a bad year. He's had 52 weeks of of bad weeks. I mean, people are 7% poorer now because of Biden inflation. Gasoline prices are, what, 50% higher than they were when he took office. Uh, The border is a mess. COVID was resurgent, uh, but he didn't have in place the tests people needed to keep themselves safe. Mitt Romney sounded like Donald Trump one year down, and that's exactly how I described the Biden administration. Down. We will look at how this self-described uniter became a polarizing failure and how he might might be able to turn things around. Because, listen, I want him to be good. I mean, I I, I don't think his policies are good. I didn't like his platform. I thought he was a terrible campaigner. I never thought he was a good candidate, and neither did the Democrats. He never got close to even smell the nomination. But because of all the um, very unique things that happened, he was able to campaign in his basement. And they had no choice. They had to turn to him. And he's shot. He's been terrible. Nobody and the American public has not given him a second look since Afghanistan. So, for example, here's the promise. Here's the promise of President-elect Biden and President Biden. Cut to. Testing, tracing, masking, not politicizing the race for a vaccine. I'm going to shut down the virus. We will deal honestly with the American people. And we'll never, ever, ever quit. I'll put in place a plan to deal with this pandemic responsibly. On July 4, we're going to celebrate our independence from the virus. And guess what? We're in the middle of June. Martin Luther King Jr. Day. 
And we're in the middle of a second variant. They didn't see the first one. They didn't see the second one. They didn't order enough tests. And they have not done an Operation Warp Speed version for therapeutics. Do you realize people are dying right now because a therapeutic that we thought was going to pass, he would not bet would, from Pfizer, one from Merck, could be ready. But they only have ordered, none have arrived, 20 million. And the last 10 million just came last week. So let's look at Joe Biden. $2 $2 million, $2 trillion Build Back Better plan, dead. No clear push forward on a voting rights bill because there shouldn't be one. COVID hospitalizations hit record high. Border encounters are record high. You know why? He has thoroughly ignored it, and his vice president has just ignored it as well. Inflation up 7%. That's what Mitt Romney was referring to. And I mentioned Afghanistan. And as of last week, a huge threat of a Cold War after a would-be invasion of the Ukraine, as it looks like the Russians are all set to do it. That's what we're looking at now. As written up by Maureen Dowd in the uh, New York Times yesterday about the current state of the Biden administration. Oh, the tribulations of Joe Biden. Kirsten Sinema humiliated him. Mitch McConnell disrespected him. The Supreme Court blocked him. Vladimir Putin scorned him. Inflation defied him. COVID stalked him. And even Stacey Abrams stiffed him. That is why we're where we're at right now. So I want to get into voting rights, and I do want to get in. To, I don't want to take too much time from Senator Joni Ernst. But here is Mitt Romney just saying, listen, I wanted to work with you. I was one of the people on bi- the bipartisan plan. You never called me about voting. You never called me about even Build Back Better, not that he would have signed off on it. Cut three. He's had a bad year. He's had 52 weeks of bad weeks. I mean, people are 7% poorer now because of Biden inflation. Gasoline prices are, what, 50% higher than they were when he took office. Uh, The border is a mess. COVID was resurgent. Uh, But he didn't have in place the tests people needed to keep themselves safe. And then, of course, there was a disaster in Afghanistan. Russia's now threatening Ukraine. Yeah, I mean, everything he said was 100 percent right. And he's not a firebrand. That's why I, I, I pulled Bill Cassidy and Mitt Romney, because these guys were just saying it like it is. And it's not somebody that would, you know, listen, he's going to get elected in Utah as long as he wants to run. So he doesn't mind defying his party. Cut four. Things are not going well. And, and the president needs to stop and reset and say, what is it he's trying to accomplish? And if it's to try and transform America, he's not going to unite us. Bringing us together means finding a way to work on a bipartisan yeah. basis. He had one success, the infrastructure bill, and that was done by Republicans and Democrats in the Senate working together. Build on that kind of success. So a couple of things. He's 100 percent right. And he waited three months to pass it. Mitt Romney left that out. And he said the day he announced it, he had a press conference later. He said, but one's not going to pass without the other. And the other ended up being named Build Back Better, which was that $2 trillion plan that Joe Manchin and Kirsten Sinema said is absolutely terrible. We're in an inflationary cycle. Are you kidding? A very friendly CBS poll is out, gave the president a 44% approval rating, second lowest at this point, 49% approve this COVID response. That should drop. This is a very friendly poll. The economy, only 38% approve of it. How he's handling inflation, just 30%. 69% say um, they find the guidance when it comes to COVID-19 confusing. 61% disapprove of the vax mandates. 47% say he was not prepared to handle the variants. So the economy, why is it so low? CBS delved into it. So what don't you like about the economy? 80% say inflation is the problem. Supply chain, 65%. The virus, 
53%. So voting is the other major thing. They're pretending as if this is civil rights. It's about black and white. It has nothing to do with black and white. You look at Georgia, Texas, Arizona. This is called election integrity after loosening up restrictions because of the pandemic. James Clyburn, who was on every show yesterday, acting like this is 1960 or 1860. Cut 11. Are the election reform bills dead, do you think? No, I don't. Uh, They may be on life support. uh, But, you know, John Lewis and others did not give up after the 64 uh, Civil Rights Act. That's why they got the 65 Voting Rights Act. So I'm going to tell everybody, we're not giving up. We're going to fight. And we plan to win because the people of goodwill are going to break their silence and help us win this battle. What are you talking about? What, what battle? You want to federalize elections? You want to ease up on voter ID when 70% of the country, including most in, in minority communities, want to make sure that people have, have a license or some type of voter ID? So what are you talking about? Uh, you're talking about, I don't know, lessening hours? Is more hours to vote in Places like Arizona, places like Florida, places like Georgia than there are in Delaware and New York. Cut 12. I would ask those people, what do you think uh, is going too far? Is it going too far to criminalize giving somebody a bottle of water, standing in line trying to vote, standing in line for four and five hours? Is that going too far? Is it going too far? to put in place mechanisms to nullify a vote uh, when people have uh, cast their votes. If you don't like the outcome, then you've got the power uh, to nullify that. Is that going too far? The whole thing on a bottle of water, poll workers can give it. If you want to, if you think you're going to wait online five hours, which isn't happening even in Georgia, you bring a bottle of water. Does anyone have a thermos? Are you kidding to pretend that this is a black and white situation, if the president you know, comes out and makes a speech that's the most insulting speech, do you? If you don't agree with me, you're Jefferson Davis, a Democrat, or do you want to be agree with me and be Abraham Lincoln, a Republican? I know everything's on its head. So, Bill Cassidy, I'm so proud of him on CNN. Listen to Clyburn, and I can't play you the whole interview, but it was totally irresponsible to hear that mischaracterization. Cut 15. If these laws are constitutional, they'll be struck down. They're not criminalizing giving people water. They're just saying you can't walk up to them just before they walk in, give them a piece of water, and tell them who to vote for. You can still give water to the people working at the poll. They can distribute it. Now, if you're trying to call the United States of America to unity, trying to get us to where we will come to common ground, you don't end up spreading things that are untrue uh, or, frankly, lies. Uh, And that's why people think we need the filibuster, Otherwise, you're just totally rolled by somebody who's willing to sacrifice truth to pursue their agenda. And their agenda is black and white. He's trying to get the black vote back because little by little it is going over to Republicans. Not by enough, but uh, but it's enough to really disturb them to make these speeches like he's making. Now guess what he's doing? He's pivoting to police reform. It should be criminal reform, crime reform. You should be focusing on crime in America, not cops in America. So when we come back— How does Senator Joni Ernst feel about this? Can they actually win back the Senate? And how does she feel about voter integrity? Does does she think that's going to resonate with this country? I hope not. And then followed by Patrick Morrissey, the attorney general, talking about voting. 
uh, and talking about vaccine mandates as well over in West Virginia. We also want to check in on Governor Jim Justice, who has COVID-19 and is having a tough time with it. You listen to The Brian Kilmeade Show. So glad you're here on Martin Luther King Jr. Day. Diving deep into today's top stories, it's Brian Kilmeade. Hey, folks, it's your man, Keyshawn Johnson, here to talk about Angie, formerly known as Angie's List, your go-to home services, marketplace for getting all your jobs done well. Now, you might be wondering, what exactly is Angie? Well, let me tell you, it's the nation's largest home services marketplace, connecting over 150 million homeowners with skilled professionals to tackle any project, big or small. As a homeowner myself, I always have things I want to work on for my house, whether it's general home renovations or fun projects like putting in a pool. With over 200,000 pros in their network, Angie makes it a breeze to research, compare, and hire pros, ensuring every job is done well. Whether you're fixing a leaky faucet or planning a full kitchen renovation, Angie's got your back. And get this, folks. Angie's pros aren't just any old contractors. They're your neighbors, often running small businesses right in your community. Plus, they've been rated and reviewed by others in your area. So you know you're getting quality service. So why stress over home projects when you can turn to Angie? From finding the best price to scheduling a pro at your convenience, Angie's got you covered every step of the way. So get started today at Angie.com. That's Angie.com or download the app today to get started on getting all your jobs done. That's Angie, your trusted ally in home services. A talk show that's real. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. It's their deeds that really matter, not the word. And for us to focus on the president's word and not pay any attention to the deeds of those legislators in Texas, in Georgia, and 17 other states that passed uh, 35, 34 uh, laws uh, that is draconian when it comes to voting, that's where our attention ought to be. Really? In 25 states, they enacted 62 laws with provisions to expand voting access. In 19 states, they enacted 33 laws to bring voter integrity to the process because of 2020. It's important for Republicans to get a counter message because they, uh, re- Democrats are making this a black and white issue. Is that indeed the case? Senator Joni Ernst doesn't think so. She's on the Armed Services and Small Business Committee. Uh, the senator from Iowa joins us now. Senator, welcome back. Hey, Brian. Great to be with you. Thanks so much. So first off, are you are you astounded and flabbergasted from the president's speech to James Clyburn's interviews, how they're characterizing these voter integrity laws? It is unbelievable, Brian. Republicans want to make it easier to vote and harder to cheat. But Washington Democrats, I don't care what kind of catchy, catchy name you give a bill, they just simply want to take over our elections. They want to federalize what is done at the state and local levels. And unfortunately, I don't see that as being a good thing. They bring up the fact that they say in Georgia, it's up to uh, you can, as a federal official, decide to nullify a vote total in a district. It's weird is that written? 
Well, that that is not. And I think the Democrats are gaslighting the American people. We know that we have fair elections, not to say there's not fraud in certain instances. Um, We know that to be as true as well. But we do have state elections officials, local elections officials that can watch out for that type of thing. But what the Democrats are trying to do and through this bill, they would eliminate voter ID at the polls, which we know makes our elections safer, they would legalize ballot harvesting so political hacks could go out and and try and scam votes from voters um, to turn in or not turn in. And then it would put Washington, D.C. bureaucrats in charge of our election system. And basically that would create a federal jobs program for political consultants and pollsters. So folks that see this as a, a voter integrity thing, it's not. It's actually moving us in a different direction. No kidding, because you're going to have to show ID and a vaccine card to be able to vote. You know that? And then they're going to say, we don't need yeah. to see that same license when it comes to registration and matching. And uh, it's been brought up before that uh, by Mitt Romney, of all people, that uh, you compare what George is doing to Delaware and New York and New Jersey. Yeah. This is what he said. Cut 16. We have laws that prevent discrimination based upon race, and, and that should be the case. But, but what I, I, I think we have to point out here is that a state like Georgia, uh, which everybody's talking about because yeah. the president went there, it's easier to vote in Georgia, even under the new legislation, than it is to vote in Delaware right. or to vote in New York right. or to vote in New Jersey. And no one is saying that, that, oh, New York has discriminatory practices. No, New York's practices are more stringent, more difficult to vote there than Georgia. So why? So this, this is clearly a political uh, play. It's damaging to the country center, too, because it makes it seem as if this doesn't pass. You don't like black people. I know, and that is the very unfortunate thing about what the Democrats are trying to push and exactly what President Biden, in his very, very divisive speech um, the other day, demonizing the very people that want to shore up our election system. And again, you know, when you look at the red states that are being targeted, um, Iowa has also changed its voter laws over the course of the number uh, last number of years. But you know what? We haven't seen voter suppression. In fact, we have actually seen the uh, percentage of voter participation increasing with every one of our elections. And Iowa, I'll point out, even though it has been targeted by the Biden administration and other Democrats in a number of their speeches because of the changes we've made to our voter laws, the fact is Iowa is still much more progressive, as Senator Mitt Romney pointed out, than Delaware and New York. When you uh, look at the first year in office with uh, President Biden, uh, the guy that was going to kill the virus, not the economy. Has that happened? Absolutely. It hasn't happened. And you can just look around the country. We still have labor shortages. We have supply shortages. We have uh, all kinds of variants taking off and no means for Americans to go out and test themselves. Um, so this has been just a disastrous first year in office for President Biden, a man who said he would come in and unify our country, actually had that horrible speech the other day on 
on uh, voting and federalizing our election system. Uh, we have an open southern border. I know those folks aren't being tested as they're coming across the border. Um, so we have this immigration crisis at the southern border. We have the disastrous Afghanistan withdrawal this last August where we left Americans stranded yep. behind enemy lines. I could go on and on. Inflation the highest in 40 years. You name it. What crisis has this president not spurred? you got a lot to run on, uh, Senator. Not you, but your, your party does. Senator Joni Ernst, thanks so much. Appreciate it. Out of the gates and ready to go. Hey, it's Hutton with Row. Hot Mike is here on the Outkick Network. We've got your afternoon covered with the latest sports discussion, and it's available wherever you find your audio. Daily analysis and news. He is hot. I am Mike. Actually, my <laughs> name is Chad. His name is Jonathan. But you get the picture. We're going to bring it every single day. Whatever you want to call us, we'll respond to. We just want you to respond to what we're dishing out every day. And while you're here, we hope you subscribe to the podcast, like, subscribe, and share. A radio show like no other. It's Brian Kilmeade. Dr. Murthy, you you mentioned those uh, therapeutics, antiviral pills. They have had extraordinary results, but only 20 million more were ordered, and there's 35 million unvaccinated people. Uh, well, so here's what's important, Martha, is you recognize that there are actually multiple therapeutics we have now. So while the 20 million refers to the Paxlovid, the Pfizer medication, uh, there are additional medications. There is the Merck medication, Molnupiravir. There are also intravenous medications, uh, three of them, in fact, uh, that we have now uh, that we feel confident are effective uh, against COVID-19. And we have thousands of doses of those available, in fact, millions. And so you put all of this together, and that's where you see that we have more supply in January than we've had in any other month. But we're not stopping there. We are continuing to increase month by month our supply so that we can get those medications to people who are sick, who are at high risk, and ultimately save their lives. Is that unbelievable, the Surgeon General talking in circles like a politician? Even Martha Raddatz can't resist, of ABC, can't resist saying, we have therapeutics, you didn't order them. And he's bragging how many he has, they've been created, but he doesn't have any to give to people. I mean, what is going on here? Uh, The Attorney General of West Virginia joins us now, Patrick Morrissey. Uh, And you guys had a major victory last week because you stopped the vaccine mandate for private businesses. How gratifying was that? Well, I'll tell you, it was a huge victory. Uh, We knew all along that what Biden was trying to do to his employers was absolutely unlawful, unconstitutional, never envisioned when they created OSHA. But they just moved full speed ahead, even though I think they knew they were going to get struck down in the court. So that was huge. And we can protect more of our people. Obviously, Brian, uh, at the same time, they also uh, indicated they supported the health care mandate. We think that was wrong. We're going to keep uh, pressing. Uh, but look, these guys give us something to shoot at every single day, as you know from your radio program. And we have to be vigilant. We have to make sure that we're aggressive against Biden's overreach because it impacts every aspect of American life. So he wants to demand vaccines. He wants nothing to do with therapeutics. And they not ordering them is sinful. People will die, yet there's a cure out there we just don't have enough of. I can't believe we're even talking about this. Oh, we're starting our third year with this virus, two weeks to slow the spread, and he was so critical of it. But when you look at what's happening now in the country, people, it looks like Democrats, 50 Democrats have written the president to say, where are the tests, where are the therapeutics, and get the communication together. Have you heard that from some Democratic colleagues? 
Well, I think that most people across the spectrum know that Biden's handling of the coronavirus has been an epic failure on all fronts. And we know that this is a tough job, uh, but Biden has been flip-flopping along, and they haven't done the basic things that they need to marshal the resources to work with the states. Obviously, they've downplayed significantly the type of therapeutic regimens that will actually help people that need it now. And so uh, I think this is one of the reasons why people are so – Uh, disoriented and disturbed with the Biden administration because they're just not executing the basic functions of government competently. And that's true whether you're talking about coronavirus or immigration or many other areas. So you remember um, uh, with during Trump, Trump's approach was let's give the states the power and the lead. Let them tell us what we need. We'll try to get it to them. Tell me what you need. Mike Pence headed up the pandemic unit. Remember that. So Governor Larry Hogan, who is often critical of Trump, says this is getting ridiculous because it looks like the federal government is now hoarding everything. And in the past, he says he doesn't even get on the phone calls. Cut 22. The president announced uh, uh, nearly a month ago before Christmas that he was going to distribute these half a billion uh, rapid test out across the country, and so far we haven't seen any. We were acquiring our own. You know, the states have been on the front lines throughout this crisis, uh, and now it appears as if rather than producing more of these rapid tests, the federal government is just purchasing the ones that we had already contracted for. Uh, we, you know, so now we're sort of hijacking the tests that we already had plans for, and we're now getting uh, some of those providers to tell us they no longer have the ma- masks, uh, the, uh, the rapid tests mm-hmm. on masks. You know, I, I announced uh, last week that we were. We were delivering free of charge 20 million uh, N95 and KN95 masks across the state. And right. I think the federal government is following behind trying to do the same thing in other places. Is that incredible that this, the federal government is scooping up and trumping the contracts of states? Look, I mean, unfortunately, none of this is surprising because what you're seeing all along is that the federal government's abdicating its traditional responsibilities. And we could talk about that at length, whether you're talking about uh, what it's doing to her energy resources or the inactivity or the incompetence at the border. But when it comes to COVID, I think what you're seeing, Brian, is that the states, they have to step up and they are stepping up. You see that a lot of states are coming together. They're trying to access uh, these therapeutic regimens. Uh, it would be a heck of a lot easier if the federal government just doesn't block the state's path. But that's what we're seeing right now. Uh, Mr. Watoga, Attorney General Patrick Morrissey, fresh off his victory, along with other attorney generals who sued the federal government to not mandate vaccines for businesses. You're also at the forefront of the fentanyl crisis because they're coming after you guys. You're not near the border, but the fentanyl that's coming across the border gets right to your state. And we know how it works. It's synthetically made in China. It goes to the Mexican cartels and the cartels use human trafficking to get it across into our country. And it's killing West Virginians. It's killing Americans. What are you now asking the Secretary of State, Anthony Blinken, to do? Yeah, a couple of things. First of all, Brian, you're exactly right. When middle America and flyover country think of the immigration crisis, uh, to them, this is about fentanyl. It's about the illicit drugs that are flooding across the border. It's a huge problem. And immigration policies that are being set 
by this administration have been an unmitigated disaster. So West Virginia's weighed in. We've sued the Homeland Security Department because they failed to utterly take into account what's going on at the border with fentanyl. So we thought we'd take another step further, which is we got together with 16 states and we wrote a letter to Secretary of State Blinken because we want to know what he's doing to work with China to stop the flow of the basic ingredients and the precursors to fentanyl into Mexico. Many people may not realize this, but back in 2019, President Trump actually worked in agreement with China and really focused on the fentanyl issue. And it seems like over the last couple of years, things have slid horribly backward. And so we're asking the Secretary of State to say, hey, you need to put a lot of pressure on China. You need to put a lot of pressure on the Mexican government Mm -hmm. to curb the Mexican drug cartels because we're seeing massive death. I mean, literally 100 percent increase in fentanyl death year to year. It's unbelievable. And it's a huge problem. By the way, it's China's poisoning us. I mean, let's just be honest. They're using cartels to poison us who just care about the money. Uh, So they're doing that. By the way, this just came across. China has barred foreign spectators from attending the Winter Games. Now they have uh, barring their own citizens from attending the Games. I don't know why anybody would. I feel bad for the athletes. But at this point, with the sponsors and what China has done uh, with this pandemic and with, uh, with fentanyl, I have no idea why we're going but I want you to hear I've just quick thing. Could you update me on how Governor Justice is doing? I hear he got the virus and he said he was having a hard time with it. Yeah. So uh, Governor Justice uh, uh, contracted a coronavirus and uh, apparently had a couple bad days of it. Uh, but now, according to all the reports we're seeing, he's picking it back up and he said he's ready to come back to work. I think he's actually doing a scheduled news conference today. So that's good news because uh, we all want him to be uh, healthy and he's working really hard. So uh, I think that's positive. I think many of us take this coronavirus very, very seriously. So when uh, your governor gets it, you want to root him on and make sure that he's getting back uh, safe and healthy. He's a Republican, but he wanted a fourth shot. So he's not he was pro vaccine. The 60 minutes highlighted how well you've you distributed the vaccine throughout West Virginia. So uh, he is not reluctant to tell everybody about it. But uh, first off, Senator Joe Manchin, along with Senator Cinema, saving the country, not packing the court, not blowing up the filibuster, not passing bill back better. And that caught the wrath of Congresswoman Maxine Waters, who is so ill-equipped, in my view, to be a lawmaker, let alone somebody of impact. Cut 10. Manchin and Cinema. And they are holding up the Democratic agenda. They have decided uh, that they are going to stick with support of the filibuster. They don't care about minorities. They don't care about blacks. They don't care about people in their own districts. They don't, is the Senator Joe Manchin you know don't care about blacks? Look, uh, what, what you hear, anytime someone seems to disagree with Maxine Waters, they become a racist. This is ridiculous on every level. And I think that Senator Manchin is uh, voting in the interest of West Virginians when he opposes Build Back Better, when he opposes this expansive election rights policy that the Democrats are putting out. So uh, I think West Virginians are really clear they want their senators to stand up and oppose this one-party rule coming out of Washington, D.C. And I think that's what you're seeing our West Virginia representatives do. So uh, I think that we're urging 
Senator Manchin were rooting him on uh, to vote against these extreme policies that would hurt West Virginia and our country. And so far on these big issues, he's done that. As a conservative, I know you agree with that. What about the people of West Virginia that put him in office? Look, obviously, many people listening may know I lost to him in one of the closest U.S. Senate races in the country back in 2018. But I think it's important that you put the country uh, first. And I think that that's what West Virginians know about as well, and that uh, a lot of people are trying to give Senator Manchin a little bit of space and room uh, to try to convince him to vote the right way. That's not always been the case, right? We know that. Uh, But I think on these big issues— Once again, the huge spending matters, inflation, and on election uh, policy, so far he said no to making the kind of changes that would hurt West Virginians. I think West Virginians are supportive of that, and if West Virginians continue to see that their representatives are voting the right way, then there's not going to be any problem for them. So, And I think that's good for the country. Gotcha. Uh, very mature of you. Um, Mr. Attorney General Patrick Morrissey, please tell Governor Justice we're hoping for a continued speedy recovery. Amen. Hey, thanks, Brian, and appreciate you having me on. You got it. Uh, Patrick Morrissey, great. When we come back, now it's your turn. one 408 especially if you have off today for the first time in a long time. You can listen to the show. I want to hear what you have to say. Don't move. Giving you everything you need to know. It's Brian Kilmeade. The more you listen, the more you'll know. It's Brian Kilmeade. President Biden's New Year's resolutions fell apart in the third week of January. The Supreme Court struck down his vaccine mandate. The voting rights bill got blocked and his approval rating is so low, it's gone into power save mode. But I will point out there was another president who had a disastrous start to his first term, yet he became an inspiration to generations of Republicans even to this day. I'm talking, of course, about Jefferson Davis, president of the Confederacy. And there are still statues of him in 10 different states, which, come to think of it, probably explains why the voting rights stuff isn't working out. Right. Jefferson Davis, of course, he wouldn't know this. Uh, Colin Jost uh, was a Democrat. Uh, and most of the Southern, the problems in the South were from Democrats. They wanted segregation. They wanted separate uh, but equal. Uh, they wanted no part of uh, releasing their slaves. And now that has reversed. I wanted to South Carolina. It's as integrated as anything I've ever seen. The same thing I could say from Atlanta when I was in Georgia. Uh, traveling around when I was in Alabama as well, in uh, a great town, uh, as well as uh, going through Florida. That's the way it was, and this is the way it is. And if anybody thought that that speech was effective, they are dreaming. Because it helped the activists, but it didn't help any of the voters. I'm talking about what President Biden did one year in. How do you How do you view it? Garrett's listening on WDBO, our covered affiliate in Orlando. What's on your mind, Garrett? Good morning, Brian. Um, I was calling to uh, comment on uh, Senators uh, Cinema and uh, Minkin as have, how they seem to represent the true spirit, this spirit of the original Constitution, where the senators were not elected, you know, by popular vote, but by the state's legislatures. And presents a pretty much a clear example to me as to uh, as to uh, re- to uh, repeal the Seventeenth Amendment. Look, we know it drove it drove everybody crazy when Murkowski and Collins would come out against President Trump and President Bush. We knew that, 
And we knew it it drives uh, Democrats crazy with uh, with Manchin and Cinema saying, I'm not going to blow up the filibuster. I am not going to sign off on $2.2 trillion when we saw the inflation's now at 6 7%. I'm not going to do that. And it drives them nuts. But now they have their own party, Garrett, calling them racist. They don't like black people. What are they even talking about? Um, it's, uh, it's, 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 it's simple. It's, it could be summed up in two words, race baiting. Yeah, hopefully people don't buy it because when there is race issues, we want to rally around it, but not for no reason. I'm so disappointed in James Clyburn especially. He acts like it's 1960 or 1860, and it's just so wrong. We uh, Black people wait online for hours and they can't get a glass of water or people will be arrested. There's nothing true about any of those words. Tom listening in Georgia. Hey, Tom. Hey, before I get to my point, uh, Clyburn is the Maxine Waters just a l- of the of the of the other gender, if we can even say that. Only a little less strident. Anyway, on the on the uh, on the vaccine and uh, sorry, the, the rapid test. Why can't the states, who my understanding is, have the major control of health care in this system? Why can't they immediately sue for a uh, immediate stoppage? of the federal takeover of the contracts that they've already uh, engaged in to get these tests to the states. How, how uh, I guess the they could go legally, but you know what up? they just want? I mean, rather than sue the, sta- the the federal government and maybe this delay months, they just want the Fed, they want the tests. And now these, the federal government is actually trumping the contracts of individual states in order to bring the tests to them so they can hand out and be the heroes. Maybe this is something to do with Wednesday's press conference. And if they if the test ended up directly in Maryland, directly in Arizona, directly in Iowa, it wouldn't make the president look good. And when he says, I've I've ordered 500 million tests, that's the only thing I could uh, think of. I'm, I don't get it. The COVID-19 has been an absolute embarrassment. And I thought that Tom Bossard put it well. Cut 21. The federal government really has two big primary roles. The first is procuring these uh, vaccines and treatments, and we've made some significant mistakes there, failed to make big bets. Uh, the doctor mentioned that we, we've got another Merck drug that we've ordered, but they ordered that one early in the, ch- in the test trial phase. That's what they should have done with Paxlovid. They waited six months for second and third phase trials, and they shouldn't have done that. And what Tom Basu went on to say is if you admit your shortcomings, it's beginning, it, it makes this seem, and actually is, your way of being honest. Yeah, I should have ordered more of that. That's not going to happen again. And fix it. You know, I should have done with therapeutics, which I did with what President Trump did with vaccines. Take a bet. I know it's on with American tax dollars that Merck is for real, that Pfizer's going to pull this off. And when it's ready, we'll have $100 million every month ready to go. But instead, people are gasping for breath in the hospital because he did not mass order Merck and Pfizer therapeutics because, I believe, he'd rather us get vaccinated. But it's not in our interest. It's in his. From the Fox News Radio studios in New York City, giving you opinions and facts with a positive approach. It's Brian Kilmeade. 
Thanks so much for listening, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. It's Martin Luther King Jr. Day. It's a holiday, and it should be. Uh, if you're listening to us for the first time in a long time because you might be off today, thank you very much. I think you're going to enjoy it. We come to you from New York, heard around the country, and as I mentioned, around the world. Uh, Michael Goodwin from the New York Post will be with us in a matter of seconds. We know that horrific subway story over the weekend in Times Square. Nice station. I go there uh, maybe four times a week uh, to take that one stop when I'm in a mad rush to get the train. And now this woman just waiting on the sidelines, some crazy lunatic homeless guy walks up and throws her in front of the train, and she's dead. And the mayor says, well, don't misperceive. Subways are safe. Now, I know he wants us on subways, but don't say that. I mean, come on. You're telling us that now? Big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. I think the administration made some mistakes at a macro level. The first was buying into this prevailing narrative that a lot of the problems at CDC are owed to the Trump's administration and their mishandling of those agencies. The second um, challenge I think that they bought for themselves was federalizing this in ways that they didn't have to, particularly with respect to the vaccine mandates. Uh, That is Scott Gottlieb. Get it together or get out of the way. That's the message from Democrat lawmakers on the Biden administration's COVID response. As a fed up American public grow weary of the lack of tests, the mixed messaging on policies and statements that have been flat out misleading to the American people. Number two. Mansion and cinema. And they are holding up the Democratic agenda. They don't care about minorities. They don't care about blacks. They don't care about people in their own districts. Can someone tell Maxine Waters they're not districts, they're states, and they're Democrats voting? Dems are using MLK Jr. Day to push back against the Republican push for voter integrity, pretending this is 1870 or 1960. How moderates like Mitt Romney and Bill Cassidy are leading the way with these elusive things called facts. Number one. He's had a bad year. He's had 52 weeks of of bad weeks. I mean, people are 7% poorer now because of Biden inflation. Gasoline prices are, what, 50% higher than they were when he took office. Uh, The border is a mess. COVID was resurgent, uh, but he didn't have in place the tests people needed to keep themselves safe. Is that Jim Jordan or is that Mitt Romney? One year down, and that's exactly how I describe the Biden administration. Down. We're going to look at how the self declared uniter became a polarizing failure and how we might be able to turn it around, which I'm hoping for because I'm country first. Uh, let's bring in Michael Goodwin also feels the same way. New York Post columnist, Fox News contributor. Michael, you basically the column that the headline of your title could have been written by Mitt Romney's comments. Biden's a dud man walking. I mean, he has failed this year. Oh, no question, Brian. And I think last week was a spectacular failure. The speech in Georgia uh, has been called a turning point by by many people, and and I think that's correct. Uh, When Biden attacked those who don't agree with him on this piece of legislation, two pieces of legislation on voting, uh, federal election laws, and when he called them traitors and likened them to Jefferson Davis, to uh, to uh, George Wallace, I mean, it was uh, Bull Connor. 
I mean, it, it was designed in large, uh, and of course, to a largely black student audience in Georgia. I mean, he's poisoning people with this kind of rhetoric. And in my column, Brian, I point out a fascinating uh, aspect of this. I mean, it was so foolish to do this that you had to know that Manchin and Cinema had made it very clear they were not going to break the filibuster to, to pass these laws. And yet Biden went anyway. And you, you have to ask yourself, what is he doing? Why did he do that? I mean, he's effectively calling them racist and traitors. And some in his own party said he went too far. So why did he do that? And the answer tells you all you need to know about the incompetence and incoherence of this presidency. He went because some of the activists who are pushing him on these laws felt he hadn't done enough to support them. And so he goes down there and opens this can of vitriol and name-calling and inflammatory language all to show the leftists, the far leftists, that he cares about the issue. Now think about that. What about all of the people he has abandoned? What about all of the moderates? Uh, I mean, it, it is inconceivable to me that Joe Biden has given his presidency to the far left. It makes no sense based on his career, based on his campaign, based on where the country is, and yet that is why he went there and threw gasoline on the racial fires and to please the far left, which in the end, some of them snubbed him anyway, including Stacey Abrams. Right. And the thing is, he feels though he's losing a lot of the black vote if you look at what happened in this off-year election. And if you see what happened with Trump, now you're not talking about 50-50, you're still talking about 18%, but that's devastating to Democrats. So what he's doing, I don't know who's advising him, who's writing the story. Is it Susan Rice? Is it pure their chief of staff, Ron Klain? I am not sure what is behind it, but I'm not sure he's divorced from it. People like to say, well, he's out of it. Not really. This is pretty much what he thinks. And remember, he's more of a chameleon. What does it take to be effective? He was in the 90s. He was anti-criminal. He thinks his party is pro-criminal now. Do you know what he's doing now? He's turning the page and going back to police reform and going to put into play executive action. On what planet is this guy on? Is he seeing what's happening in, in New York, for example, with the blowback this DA is getting as we watch innocent people waiting for subways being thrown on tracks by homeless people that should be in jail? You know, Brian, I would uh, understand more of what he's doing. Uh, which is, he, look, he's, he's appealing only to Democrats now, but not all Democrats, only to the far left group. Now, that may be a significant portion, but it is clearly not the entire Democratic Party. I mean, to get Bernie Sanders' vote, if you have to go all the way out there on the fringe to get, to get the Bernie bros and, and to get the activist vote, uh, keep going. But you are divorcing yourself yep. from the middle of the country of both parties, and not to mention independents. In the in their most recent poll, independents gave him a 25 percent job approval. You cannot win a national election with one party. You need to get the independents as well, and he has failed to do that. Uh, there's no question he's failed to do that, and he doesn't seem to want to. 
which is pretty nutty. He's got a press conference Wednesday. He's kicked his first State of the Union address to March 1st. So it's another. It's one of the latest ever given. I get think he wants to change the narrative. He thinks the Omicron will be fading, and it's beginning to stall, thankfully, in Washington and New York. But I was struck by the amount of moderates that went back at him because here is Mitt Romney. Cut four. Things are not going well. And, and the president needs to stop and reset and say, what is it he's trying to accomplish? And if it's to try and transform America, he's not going to unite us. Bringing us together means finding a way to work on a bipartisan yeah. basis. He had one success, the infrastructure bill, and that was done by Republicans and Democrats in the Senate working together. Build on that kind of success. And I've had three more sound bites that make him sound like Jim Jordan. I mean, this has Cassidy and Romney incensed. That says a lot, doesn't it? Well, it does, because, I mean, they are embarrassed, too, because they have held out the olive branch to Biden, and he keeps spurning it. I mean, even the infrastructure bill that Romney mentions, uh, that could have been done much earlier. Uh, It sat there for, what, uh, six weeks after it was passed before— Yeah, before he signed it, and he signed it in secret. I mean, he didn't want to publicly be seen with Republicans. There's no other way. He didn't want to give them any credit. And look, uh, Brian, you and I have discussed this infrastructure thing for, you know, for years. They could have had this bill five years ago. Donald Trump wanted to do an infrastructure bill. The Democrats wouldn't do anything with Donald Trump. They would not be seen with Donald Trump except to point fingers at him. And so this infrastructure keeps getting kicked around. I mean, they passed the bill. What have they done since? I mean, is there is there a push to get the money out the door to get the projects going? Probably not, because it was all about the appearances for Biden. I mean, it's a very strange presidency. It, it doesn't make any sense. There's no coherence to it. There's you would think that after being in the Senate all those years, being vice president, uh, Biden would have at least a pretty good ear for politics. But the politics of this administration are bizarre. They are self-defeating at every turn. It really is. And I got to bring you to what happened in New York over the weekend. Again, we watched a carjacking on 55th and Broadway. Just if you're listening around the country, it's a nice area. Uh, And we watched that happen in daylight. We caught it on tape. And then this Michelle Alicia Go, who is a 40-year-old MBA grad from NYU, who has done work, ironically and sadly, with the homeless, is waiting for a Times Square subway and is thrown in front of a train at the perfect timing to kill her instantly by a man that should have been incarcerated. And the mayor comes out and says, don't think that subways are unsafe. I don't really think that's the right time with that message. But this is at the same time the DA is speaking to his church saying, I've had a tough two weeks because people don't like my policies. What are your thoughts about this? Well, look, I think the, a lot of New Yorkers are looking at this situation and saying, do I stay or do I go? And a lot, of course, uh, a lot of them have left uh, because of Bill de Blasio primarily. He's no longer mayor. Adams comes in, talks, says all the right things about crime and education, and seems to, seems to be consistent in everything he has said during the campaign and since the campaign. This, this note yesterday that the subways are safe and that this is a problem of perception only was a real mistake. This is not true. 
is simply not true that it's just a matter of perception. He didn't say this when he was running for mayor. He says it now that he is mayor. And that, that draws suspicions that he is not as committed to these things as he said he was. Now, I hope that's wrong. I hope he is committed to it and that this was a, just a, a one-off mis, uh, misstatement uh, when he wasn't thinking clearly about how it would look and sound. But this idea sounds as if, oh, there's no big problem. You know, it's just getting overplayed by the media. I mean, when you start retreating behind that sort of thing, you know, I mean, even Ronald Reagan at one point uh, when when he was president and there was a lot of talk about unemployment and everything, he apparently said to some aides, you know, I don't understand all this fixation on 10 percent unemployment. That means 90 percent of the people are working. Why don't we talk about them? Uh, and so politicians don't want the negative accentuated. But, of course, the media yeah. and your opposition is going to accent, accentuate the negative. And so in this case, that's what made Adams mayor. He was going to change the tone, change the facts right. on the ground. This sounds like a retreat, and I, I hope he cleans it up quickly. Well, I always hope so. Uh, the DA comes out and is speaking to a church uh, audience and say, you know, I've had a tough two weeks. I grew up. I was stabbed. I was this. I saw people shot in front of me. We look into his background, and I'm not saying all of it's not true, but he lived in a $3 million brownstone, went to a private school, and to an Ivy League college. Uh, where was the turbulence and stress and strife in this guy's background? Do we have another fictional character at a key position like D.A. in Manhattan? Well, look, I, I, you know, whatever his background, whatever his experiences, and, and they seem to be mixed at best, um, there's no excuse for the way he's talked and, and, and his policies about crime. You simply cannot continue down this path of letting people out of jail, uh, letting them go without bail, uh, reducing charges, making everything a misdemeanor uh you know, saying armed robbery isn't really armed robbery if nobody gets hurt. I mean, this kind of nonsense is going to get people killed. And the last DA was lousy on crime. This one happens to be even worse. They've decriminalized too many things. And, you know, Brian, our society, no society can can hang together if there are no consequences for serious misconduct. Yeah, it's and Alvin crime, Bragg. He's got to yeah. straighten up or else he's going to be done toast. Or, and we're going to pay the price because when criminals don't fear the law, we're all doomed. Um, Michael Goodwin puts it all in perspective. One year in, it's going to be a long three years, uh, especially if the Republicans can't make a clean sweep of both chambers in the midterms, in my view. Michael, thanks so much. My pleasure, Brian. Thank you. At M. Goodwin underscore NY Post. You listen to The Brian Kilmeade Show. Your call's next, one 866 408-7669 on this Martin Luther King Jr. Day. Also, if you want to talk about the original Freedom Fighter, it is Frederick Douglass. You can pick that story up. The President of Freedom Fighter, my book that's out. Uh, and you can get it at briankillme.com. Frederick Douglass, Abraham Lincoln, The Battle to Save America's Soul. Don't move. Giving you everything you need to know. It's Brian Kilmeade. If you're interested in it, Brian's talking about it. You're with Brian Kilmeade. The John Lewis bill would basically give the unelected, unaccountable uh, career bureaucrats at the Justice Department the ability to veto almost all election uh, changes, redistrict new redistricting maps. 
of state legislatures, uh, even changes made by referenda by voters. That is an unbelievable intrusion into state sovereignty, and frankly, it's a way of overriding the will of the state legislators and the voters in every single state. Van Spassky, uh, he is a, uh, was on with Mark Levin over the weekend on television. He's a senior legal fellow uh, with the Mies Center for Legal and Judicial Studies. And people say, John Lewis, what a great freedom fighter he was. Let's just go do this voting reform to make America a better place. Really? Federalizing elections, deciding that gerrymandering should be done in Washington, D.C., when you have state le- electors and they gerrymandering's been happening really since our country's been having elections? And when you co- you equate what's happening in 2022, what's happening in 1870, you really think you're going to bring this country together? Forget it. Raleigh, North Carolina, WPTF is where we find Tom. Hey, Tom. Hey, good morning, Brian. I will make two quick comments. Um, first of all, in North Carolina, we voted uh, three or four years ago. Eighty percent voted in favor of showing um, a, a valid ID to vote. Um, and one judge... One judge overturned that. Now, let me switch over to COVID. Uh, my neighbors went to Spain. They were there for Christmas. Uh, the husband and daughter got COVID. They tested positive. So they were going to try to come back. So the night before they tested positive, the next morning they tested negative. I don't even think these tests are even accurate. Oh, that's true. I think the uh, the rapid tests are 80% effective. That's why they say get three. Get three. For, oh, number one, I'd like one. And number two is, okay, I, I got two negatives. What do I keep taking them until I get a positive? And then what's the false? What is this, the best two out of three? I mean, it's incredible. Then they say, well, the other one, the, you're going to pick up traces of the virus for 14 days. Then we're never going to get out of uh, out of quarantine. So... It is a joke. We're going to look back at this and say how many times the ineptness of the CDC and the FDA has left us behind. And can I point out that there's nobody currently running the FDA? There's no appointed, confirmed officer running the FDA in the middle of a pandemic, now beginning its third year. Oh, the virus that the president didn't stop. When we come back, we have some fun. We talk football. It's one of the game's all-time greats, defensive lineman Tony Saragusa. You're listening to The Brian Kilmeade Show. Radio that makes you think. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. The season comes down to this. It is car end zone. Intercepted. Jermaine Pratt has it. And for the first time in 31 years, Cincinnati, your Bengals have won a playoff game. Yes, and they hold off the Raiders, and they do that. The crowd stood up and never sat down. Final score, 26-19. Uh, Tampa was uh, easy. They were up 31 nothing. ended up being 31-15 over the Eagles. Uh, Bills beat the Patriots. I just slaughtered them. 49ers over the Cowboys, 23-17. Uh, Cowboys were outclassed, as were uh, the Steelers against the Chiefs. Is that a surprise to Tony Saragusa? I have an idea. Let me ask him. He's a former uh, 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 defensive tackle standout, 12 years in the NFL uh, with the Colts, but more importantly, won a Super Bowl with the Ravens. Tony, welcome back. What a day of football yesterday, huh, Brian? Did, how, did you watch all weekend, and will you watch tonight? I watched all weekend, and yes, I will watch tonight. I was, uh, you know, I was happy for the Bengals after 30 years. I mean, those fans have just... Uh, been through the cheese grater uh, for so many years and not winning a playoff game. Uh, wasn't surprised. I was surprised with the Bills Patriots. I thought that was going to be more of a game 
But the Bills, man, they are on fire. The Cowboys, obviously, are the are the old Cowboys. 49ers just, uh, you know, played a great game. And then, uh, obviously, the Bucks right. and the Eagles. I mean, I those were going to show up a little bit more and give the Bucks a little bit more of a run. But uh, that was sort of an embarrassment right there. It was, uh, you know, it, the Steelers it, game. The Chiefs just rolled the Steelers. You know, I, I felt bad for Ben going out that way. But uh, he hung in there as long as he could. I know. I mean, I guess that's done with the class. Phillip Rivers, Eli Manning, and Ben Roethlisberger, three great quarterbacks from that same class. Uh, do you think all three going to the Hall of Fame? I think they all have a shot. Yeah, you know, I, you know, the Hall of Fame nowadays. It's you know they they put they put people in and and uh, you know you know sometimes, in my opinion, you know guys you know might might go in a little bit too soon. I think it puts a sort of a you know, uh, a bad taste in, in a lot of the players' mouths when they go in too soon. But all three of those guys, I think, are definitely candidates. So let's go to Brady. He asked, uh, you know, he won three road games, but no fans were in the stands, and the Bucks win the Super Bowl. It's going to be different this time. That was his home game. He might, he'll have another. Here is uh, what it sounded like. Cut 35. Brady keeps end zone wide open. Touchdown, Gronkowski. Brady Evans is in for the touchdown with a flare you know just trying to figure out a way to move the ball down the field and score some points I thought we did a good job in a couple of those areas Um, we ran the ball really well line played great receivers played great tight ends played great so used a lot of different people and um, everyone got in there made some plays to help the team win defense played great special teams was amazing so we're gonna need it again next week it only gets tougher from here Tony he's not telling the truth he did lose two offensive linemen and that that will be tough in the next round no matter who he plays yeah, you got to protect Tom Brady. That's the one way. That's exactly how you beat him. You got to go and hit him early in the game and sort of say, "Listen, I'm just going to give up the big play. He's probably going to score on us, but we're going to hit him." And that's how you rattle him up. But uh, you know, when you look at Tom, you know, and, and the Buccaneers, he just doesn't make mistakes as a quarterback. You know, he there, there might be some drop passes, but that's not on him. But he just keeps going down the field, finds his receivers. I mean, Gronk looks like he's waddling down the field, you know, with his with his body as beat up, I think, as it is. But he still keeps making the plays that he needs to make and uh, and uses his body as best as possible. So I think, you know, you can't ever count Tom Brady out. I mean, he's the GOAT. But, but what I don't understand is, I, I mean, and I was thinking about this. I remember I was for Johnny Unitas at 39 playing in San Diego. I clearly remember um, – uh, George Blanda, and when he was a kicker all those years, and once in a while he would come in for Daryl Armonica. I was just like seven or eight years old, and they look so old. This guy does not look. I mean, I'm, I'm not telling you, he's never been the unbelievable NFL athlete, and no one expected him. He never scrambled like Steve Young, but I just don't get how he's doing it at 44. Do you? You know what? He's just, the, you know, as you go along, like if you look at my first seven, six, seven years in the league, you know, the game was played with testosterone, playing testosterone, just running and doing whatever you can. Then as you age in the NFL, you start using your brain more and, and the game slows down a little bit. And he is just, he plays the game in his head before he plays the game. He knows where he's going. When he, he sees things that nobody else sees, and he gets rid of the ball fast. But his body can only- still do it, Tony. That's my point is that I, I get his brain, but I don't get his body. Listen, he just, I don't know what he's eating or, you know, what kind of diet he's or whatever, but I think everybody should be on that that plays in the NFL. But he just, 
he just keeps going. He's got a drive like I've never seen anybody have. Right, and also he must not want to spend any time at home. I mean, he he's, he trains like 11 and a half months a year. Does he ever want to go home? Well, I'm sure he wants to go home. I mean, uh, his wife's pretty good looking. That's a good point. And because if your wife's good looking, you should want to go home. Uh, here yeah. is Mike Tomlin. After the, as expected, the Steelers get crushed. Here's what he said about Ben. Cut 36. What do you think of what Ben gave you, though, in this game? Man, he was, he was, he was seven. It's been an honor and a pleasure, man. Um, I don't have the words. Here's Ben Roethlisberger, 37. God has blessed me with an ability to throw a football and, and has blessed me to play in the greatest city in Pittsburgh with the greatest fans and the greatest football team and players, and it has just been truly a, a blessing, and I'm so thankful to him for the, the opportunity that, that he's given me. What's next for you? You know, I'm going to do everything I can to um, to be the best husband and, and father I can be and, and try and expand um, – God's kingdom. So, number one, I guess you guys didn't overlap. I thought you might have. That is the biggest quarterback that I've seen star in this league. I mean, Dante Culpepper was big, but he lasted just a few years. This guy's been good for the longest time. He's mammoth. Not not just that, Brian. I mean, the guy's a defensive lineman playing quarterback. He is. I mean, the hits he's taken and the sacks and getting back up and playing hurt. I mean, he's a throwback quarterback. I mean, they don't make him like that anymore. I mean, he just keeps coming and coming and, you know, makes the plays, gets his team down the field. You know, he doesn't, you know, when, when you know, you know, a receiver dropped the ball or, or ran the wrong route and you see it in his eyes, he never really calls anybody out and he just keeps it in himself and just keeps going. I mean, he, he is truly a warrior. I got to give him, I take my hat off the bat. So I was uh, I was listening to Joe Montana the other day, and he talked about the injury that knocked him out for a year and a half. He said Leonard Marshall wrapped him up uh, and just took all his weight on him and just plowed him into the ground. I think he broke his back and his hand. And he said you would never be able to do that today. And that's when that was your era too, and that isn't too long ago. Is there a change for defensive linemen? I know about late hits, but what about hits? Period. It's it's you know what, Brian. I'm I'm. You know, when I look at the game, first of all, the, 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 the officials, they have, they have too much control over the outcome of the games, I, I think. True. I mean, you know, having, having rules for each individual player. I mean, some of the calls yesterday, you know, where a defensive lineman goes. Now, you, people don't understand. When you're a defensive lineman, you have one, two guys going, pushing you. You're going all different directions. You're doing anything you can to get to the quarterback. Sometimes you're falling and if you hit the quarterback's shoelaces, they throw they throw a flag at you. It's like, it's 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 you know it's easy to go and say, oh, if you go anywhere near the quarterback, but sometimes you don't have control of of your body and where it's going because of the offensive lineman. And I just think that it's you know they they have to do a better job of making some of these calls, and because it's really determining the outcome of the game. It's it's you know it's it's a. It just keeps drives going at 15 yards, you know, roughing the roughing the quarterback. I mean, I wish they had roughing the defensive lineman back in the day. <laughs> that would have been nice. Uh, two-time, yeah. two-time Super Bowl winner, NFL Rookie of the Year, six-time Pro Bowl, Tony Saragusa, our guest. Tony, did you look forward to retirement when it was over? And the, what was the hardest thing once it was over? Um, you know, so was I looking forward to it yep. being over? You know. And as a, as a defensive lineman and as a player, Ben's going, going to go through this in the next couple of weeks. You know, your body just can't recover anymore. 
You know, you, you, you know, when you're young, you know, you go, you play the game, you get beat up on Sunday, Monday, maybe you get in the hot tub and you're good on Tuesday. And as you progress, all of a sudden you're 10 years in the league and you don't get better till you know, Friday. Then all of a sudden you're 12 years in the league and you're like, man, you know, my body's just, I, you can't recover. You're playing, you're going from game to game with the same injuries and, and you just, and you just know it's time to get out. But when you do get out, you know, you're so conditioned for playing football you know, especially, you know, we talked about Tom Brady and, 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 and Ben, you know, you're so, you're such in a routine of what you need to do. You know, when I got out of football and then I went to Fox, um, you know, and started announcing the games, it was crazy because I would be on the sideline and my body would react to the national anthem. When the national anthem played, the hairs on my body, my body would actually, you know, wow. uh, you know, used to going and getting an adrenaline rush that, you know, it was happening when I was on the sideline and not even playing in the game. So that, that's something you have to get used to. And I would have dreams about being late for a meeting and, you know, even five, six years afterwards. I mean, you're, you're just, you know, you're so used to doing the same thing over and over again. You have to get, you know, recondition your body to, to relaxing and watching the game and not having to go to practice and not having to be on time in certain meetings. So it's a, it's a huge adjustment. Uh, real quick about what's happening in New Jersey uh, we, are you still in Jersey? I actually moved to Florida. You're out of Florida. You moved to Florida. Out of New Jersey. I moved my business out of New Jersey. I got a business, Titan Aviation. We, we transport people back and forth all over the world with, uh, with private aircraft, and we sell and buy private aircraft. But I moved out uh, uh, April of last year, and I am a resident of Jupiter, Florida. And I'm very happy. I don't. I had sold my snowblower and my snow shovels and everything like that. I'm out. So you did sell. You did sell. So someone out there is in New Jersey using Tony Saragusa's snowblower. Yes. Yes, I signed it too. <laughs> That's nice of you to do that. Uh, I want it back. Do you feel the economy's coming back? I know the private insurance company. They say that bracket did not suffer through this pandemic. Uh, are you doing okay? Yeah. Yeah. We're doing, we're doing really well. I think, you know, people are scared with the, you know, the, the Corona and, and, and the things going on. A lot of, a lot more people are flying private back and forth and worried about getting on airplanes and, you know, the TSA doesn't help at all with, you know, how slow they are sometimes. So it's a, you know, it's a different world. It's amazing, Brian, being down here in Florida and, you know, a lot of our, uh, um, um, you know, people in the government who, you know, might be on the on the left a little bit are enjoying South Florida as much as we are, but they don't want to admit it coming down. <laughs> our town. Um, I almost moved out of here when I heard that, uh, you know, uh, Speaker Pelosi was looking at a house down here in Jupiter. But I turned it turned out to be a, uh, you know, a, a, a hoax. Uh, but I was ready to go and put a, a for sale sign up and move. <laughs> but, uh, you know, it's it's great down here. People down here are living people up north. Are, are, wait, are waiting to die, it seems like, when I go up there. Everyone's wearing masks. Everyone's petrified, scared. I mean, uh, it's just uh, it's a different world. And I don't want to live like that. I don't want my family to live like that. And it's just, uh, you know, it's just not good right now. I'm happy to go and see, you know, Governor Youngkin go and, and make some executive orders, though. I mean, there are some positives happening up in the Northeast. Cut it, uh, 11 of them he did yesterday. Do you still have the beach body, Tony? Yes. Yes, I, I still have. I do my three sit-ups every day, Brian, and uh, and, and go to the here. And you know, it's tough being married, and you know, it's it's. Uh, you know, there's a lot of chubby chasers out there, so I have to be very cautious. And, you know, I, 
I never I never realized it was a danger. Okay. Yeah. I did not know that. Uh, Tony, always great talking to you. He's watched his 10 hours of football just to inform you and prediction tonight, uh, Rams against Cardinals. Well, you know what? The the Cardinals are playing really well, but it's tough. The Rams have that defensive line and that defense that just brings the pressure. Um, I'm going with the Rams, um, you know, and then it's going to be, you know, it's going to be a great game if the Rams do win and then, you know, next week, uh, you know, Rams will play the Bucks. I mean, that's going to be a, an unbelievable game. And also the game I'm looking forward to, too, is the Bills-Chiefs. That's going to be an awesome game. So there's a lot of great games coming up, and uh, and I'll be glued to the TV watching. And in your estimation, win or lose the Super Bowl, does Aaron Rodgers have – is he with the new team next year? I don't know. You, you, you know, Aaron Aaron is, is, a, is a special quarterback, uh, you know, it all depends when you when you're in the league he is and he you have the you have the uh, the net worth he does he can make any decision he wants it's not really going to affect him but uh, you know uh, you know does does he want to go and move that's something you're going to have to ask him but uh, you know, I think the Packers uh, Packers are playing pretty well it'd be tough to go to another team you know unless it's it's a team that's better than the one you're playing on I know and it's not there's very few better and the organizations really lived up to it from uh, from Favre to to Rogers amazing Tony it's always great talking to you hopefully we could do this again you got it Brian if you need to ride down here to Florida you just call me I'm at Titan Aviation Group and uh we'll get you a nice little plane get you down here safe and uh Maybe I'll even make you some macaroni down here. Buddy. Well, that'll be great. Uh, I just need the coupon. I just need the Syracuse Titan coupon maybe to entice me to maybe get a contract. 25% off? I guess he's gone. No coupons. one 408 7669 Listen, so now you know what's happened in football. We took a break from the craziness. So let's come back and take your calls. You listen to the Brian Kilmeade Show on Martin Luther King Day. Educating, entertaining, enlightening. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Breaking news, unique opinions. Hear it all on the Brian Kilmeade Show. I think Biden just needs more time. He might be more of an acquired taste. Unfortunately, most Americans recently lost their sense of taste. Yes, yeah, so that was Colin Jost. I was amazed at the cold open after the week that Biden had, the ineptness and the speech and the ridiculous Jefferson Davis-Lincoln comparisons, that they weren't really using this as comedy. I mean, Saturday Night Live said, did a ridiculous Spider-Man analogy with Biden. The guy who's doing Biden is not good. Number two is they refuse to make fun of him. This is the same show that mocked a New York governor who was blind and showed him tripping over things. And I thought to myself, these guys are ruthless. And now they've totally changed to a political organization, exactly like Kimmel, exactly like uh, The Late Show with Stephen Colbert, and not so much with The Tonight Show. Benjamin, listen on KGNC. Hey, Benjamin, over in Amarillo, Texas. Yes. Uh, what I have to say, I think the reason that Biden has gone so far left is because he knows the left will prosecute him and try to impeach him, whereas the moderates won't and the ones in the, uh, the Republicans won't. But if he doesn't do what they want him to do, which kind of got his arm twisted, there's more than enough evidence in there to hang him, and there'll be enough Republicans to make up the difference on the Democrats that would go after him. Benjamin, I don't see impeachments even in the cards. I think he just is worried about uh, the midterms, and he feels by sewing up the left— he can he can stave off disaster, but 
He can't. I wish at 78 years old, at one point, can you just do the right thing for the country and just say, well, yeah, I've been a moderate my whole life. Sorry, AOC. Sorry, Jayapal. I'm sorry. No, I'm not going to be able to do it. In fact, I'm going to call Cassie. I'm going to call Romney. I'm going to call Collins. I'm going to be, I'm going to call Murkowski. I'm going to just try to get something done. He'll piss off, they'll, they'll piss off the Republicans, no doubt about it. And there's no doubt about it, the left wing will be crazy, but he'll start getting things done. And the American people might even try to give him four more years. Certainly independents would. Thanks so much for listening. Pick up the President of Freedom Fire, BrianKilmead.com. And if you want to go to my site, I could actually personalize it and send it back to you. Keep it here. Live from the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice. Brian Thanks Kilmeade. so much for listening, everybody. It's Brian Kilmeade coming to you from New York, heard around the country, heard around the world on Martin Luther King uh, Day. Um, hopefully a lot of your schedules have changed and maybe you're listening for the first time in a long time. And I appreciate that. This hour, we're going to be joined by Kevin Brady, uh, ranking member of the House Ways and Means Committee. He was chairman of Ways and Means when they were in the majority. Uh, I want to talk to him about where our economy is heading because the number are overwhelming. Even in a very uh, friendly CBS poll, 34% of the American public approve of the way the president's handling the economy. And only 30% approve of the way he's handling inflation. Congressman Kevin Brady on that. And then Brett Baer will bring us up close and personal on the new rivalry on the right. Is it between DeSantis and Trump? Let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. I think the administration made some mistakes at a macro level. The first was buying into this prevailing narrative that a lot of the problems at CDC and owed to the Trump's administration and their mishandling of those agencies. The second um, challenge I think that they bought for themselves was federalizing this in ways that they didn't have to, particularly with respect to the vaccine mandates. Yeah, Dr. Scott Gottlieb on the reality. Get it together or get out of the way. That's the message from the Dems on the Biden administration. COVID response has fed up the fed up American public grow weary of the lack of tests, the mixed messaging and policies and statements that have flat out misled the American people. Number two. Mansion and cinema. And they are holding up the Democratic agenda. They don't care about minorities. They don't care about blacks. They don't care about people in their own districts. That's Maxine Waters, an embarrassment if there ever was one, going after Democrats. A Democrat going after a Democrat, saying they're racist. Dems are using MLK Day, MLK Day to push back against the Republicans who are pushing for voter integrity, pretending that it's 1870 or 1960. How moderates like Mitt Romney and Bill Cassidy are leading the way for the Republicans on this thing called facts. Number one. He's had a bad year. He's had 52 weeks of, of bad weeks. I mean, people are 7% poorer now because of Biden inflation. Gasoline prices are, what, 50% higher than they were when he took office. Uh, the border is a mess. COVID was resurgent, uh, but he didn't have in place the tests people needed to keep themselves safe. And Mitt Romney, not exactly Jim Jordan, not exactly Lindsey Graham. Going off about what he sees one year down, and that's exactly how I describe the Biden administration, down. We're going to look at how this self-declared unifier became a polarizing failure and how he might be able to turn it around. So let's bring in Congressman Kevin Brady. Congressman, welcome back. Hey, Brian. Good to, good to talk to you. How are you doing? How do you characterize the first year? Yeah, I would. I, it's clear he bungled this economy uh, in a big way, and he'd come into it really inherited what should have been a banner year. I mean, uh, our economy had rebounded under President Trump. 
faster than anyone expected. We had trillions of COVID money in the economy. You had reopening regions and you had life-saving vaccines. So my view is economically, President Biden began his presidency standing on third base and he promptly stole second. And he did that in a way that we've missed every quarter of economic group growth. He failed to meet expectations. So if you million one short of the jobs he promised inflation, you know, everyone talks about 40 years uh, high there. But the way I put it, you look at President Trump's tax cuts, what it did to grow wages. President Biden uh, repealed three years of wage growth for the average family in one year. I mean, took people back that far. And of course, uh, we know we got a big labor shortage. So and, and a lot of that due to his policies. Well, 3.9 percent unemployment. He keeps pointing to that and how many jobs he created. Is he wrong to do that? Well, he can point to it. But the bottom line is, as one expert said, he really hasn't created one new job. He's still far below what we need to to catch up to where we were pre-COVID. And the labor uh, unemployment number, I don't think that's a very good reading because the truth of the matter is we've got you know, almost 10 million job openings. We've got four and a half, almost five million people who just uh, quit, you know, got out of the workforce, or, you know, they continue to get payments from the government that allows them to stay home. And, and part, of those, part of those payments, like the child tax credit, where people no longer have to work to get it, no earnings whatsoever, and Obamacare subsidy is so, so lavish that you can make a half million dollars and get your health care subsidized. That's keeping almost 2 million people out of the workforce if those two policies are made permanent. And when you don't have enough workers, you close early, you have to raise the prices because you have to raise wages because of of the market. Now, I want people to get wages, but we also don't want to be spending $9 for a a gallon of milk. So uh, I was looking at what uh, CBS gave him a 44 percent approval. I was stunned by that because Quinnipiac, uh, 33 percent, 49 percent approved his COVID-19 uh, attack plan. What? The economy, they yeah. approved 38%. Inflation, 30% approval. They asked in this poll, what would you do to get his economic numbers? 80% say attack inflation, 65% say supply chain, 53% say virus. So uh, he, has to, he has to attack inflation. Why doesn't he? Why, why don't his polls say what all these other polls say? I, Brian, I don't know. And in Texas, it is it is around that 32 percent figure. And, and what I don't understand is, look, everyone in America knows he took his eye off COVID. He dismissed and denied inflation and the worker shortage, even though our small businesses were telling, were screaming what a big, huge problem it was. He took his eye off of the supply chain issues, all to go after that extreme you know, socialist spending plan. And he continues to be obsessed with that, or at least his White House continues to be. And I I don't understand why he doesn't, you know, course correct. And I'll be, it'll be interesting to see at the State of the Union, if someone figures out how to convince him that what he's doing is not working in a huge way. Well, it's uh, Kevin, the other thing is on Wednesday, he's going to be giving a press conference. I don't know what his message is going to be. Uh, but I hear it's going to be police reform. If that is in tone deaf, I don't know what is. With crime uh, raging in every major city like you're in uh, in Texas, in Austin, yeah. where with the, uh, the funding of the police is still happening, he's going to come after police reform using executive action? I mean, that to me is nuts. It is tone deaf in a big way. In the Houston region, I mean, we live outside in the woodlands, but in the Houston region, they have a, the highest number of murders, 470-some. Uh, in almost two decades. And as I was with a 
in a, at a nephew's uh, baby shower uh, this weekend. You know, I had two people from Houston say they have changed their life because of the crime that they're seeing, and that's and that those unsafe neighborhoods are occurring all across the country. How could you not understand stepping forward and do more of the defund the police approach? Just how damaging that will be. So I'm just, you know, I know Democrats have to spin their way out of this. Here's Senator Tim Kaine trying to explain on Faith the Nation that Build Back Better, that $2 trillion boondoggle, which failed miserably, is going to pass. Cut eight. You're right that it's dead. The, the most recent version of it is not going to happen. But if you look at the core of the bill, I think the core is education and workforce Um, And things like reduced child care and education expenses, workforce training, and then support for the workforce in areas like health care. There are other pieces of the bill that are more controversial. I still believe we're going to find a core of this bill, whatever we call it, we're going to find a core of the bill and pass it. And it will deal directly with some of these inflation concerns. And it's really out of your hands, obviously, a House member, but also yeah. because it's up to Democrats if they get a simple majority, which means Cinema Kelly and and Manchin. Yeah, well, he he's dead wrong in this sense that the, the one this bill is as alive or dead as Joe Manchin makes it to be. Uh, secondly, the core of that bill are tax hikes on small businesses and America's job creators that that will constitute really an economic surrender to China, Russia, the rest of the world. That is the core of that bill, along with provisions that actually discourage people from returning to work and just sort of creates these never-ending government checks for people. So, uh, I'm, look, I, it, it could come back alive, depending on uh, if, uh, if President Biden, the White House, can meet Joe Manchin. But to do that, the progressives are going to have to walk back from everything they care about, and I think that'll be a bigger problem. So they're pointing to Texas and Georgia about what's changing voting, and they're saying you're trying to box out minorities by limiting access. Here's uh, Congressman James Clyburn, Cut 12. I would ask those people, what do you think uh, is going too far? Is it going too far to criminalize giving somebody a bottle of water standing in line trying to vote, standing in line for four and five hours, is that going too far? Is it going too far to put in place mechanisms to nullify a vote uh, when people have uh, cast their votes? If you don't like the outcome, then you've got the power uh, to nullify that. Is that going too far? Well, I'm not, I mean, I'm not naive to politics, but at 78 years old or 82, whatever he is, how does he feel comfortable making those statements? You know, I, I don't know, uh, and he certainly doesn't know uh, our Texas election law. The truth of the matter is, in, in nationwide, this is the case. There is no evidence of statewide voter suppression, none. It is it is this year's big lie or, or last year's big lie, perhaps, uh, there. And in Texas, a great example, we had record voter turnout. Uh, the new election law actually expands. We had a, We had two weeks of solid uh, early voting uh, for no excuses, uh, and they actually added hours, including more on Sunday uh, and weekends for that. Made it easier, really, to uh, show your ID. Now all you have to have is, you know, your know your driver's license number, know your your alternate uh, ID number from the state, or the last four numbers of your Social Security. Um, uh, this is they made election voting and elections easier and more secure at the same time. So it is frustrating to hear this big lie just promulgated all as an excuse for a federal takeover 
of our state and local elections. And, and at the heart of it, that's what this is. So the other thing that they constantly say is that there's an ability for an election a supervisor to overturn the results if they don't like them. I, I've never yeah. I've read that. Uh, what, what is that getting at? Is there a I, overseer role when they see a problem? We have seen problems with ineptness in precincts from Texas to California to uh, certainly Florida. You have, and I think they're going after, um, you know, can election officials be replaced and how can you challenge an election? I know I don't know what happened in necessarily in the other states, but I certainly know in Texas uh, there there is a huge focus on integrity, but it is integrity for all voters, not just for some. And I think one of the what we saw in this last election, Brian, were local officials who admitted they were putting drop boxes and 24-hour uh, drive-through voting uh, in areas to bring out their voters in their words. And the truth of the matter is election officials shouldn't be ginning up their voters. There should be equal access for everyone. And that's exactly what Texas did. My understanding, that's what Georgia did as well. How did, uh, just real quick, back to another area of expertise, that's the economy. How did China grow at 8% last year? I know they inflate their numbers, but they have they have 13 million people under quarantine. We've seen the problems they've had with supply chain to us and to the rest of the world. What do you think is going on there? Yeah, I, I think what you said right at the beginning, those numbers can't be trusted. And in, in the best of times, uh, they're questionable. But I think certainly now in COVID uh, uh, era, they're even more so. What I think you and I know is China's very aggressive economically. They're out there. They're cheating on their trade deals. They're They're cutting – trade agreements uh, with other countries, while America is standing on the sideline, by the way. One of my big criticisms of Joe Biden is that the rest of the world is out there divvying up the customers on the planet, and America is sitting in the stands while they do this. But China's helping lead all of that, and we're seeing them, uh, even when there are uh, bans and sanctions against them, they will send products to other countries and transport them in the back door into the U.S. And so yeah, they are a huge uh, economic threat. But we've got a president at this point who just doesn't seem to want to confront them on it. Lastly, have you have any regrets about retiring, being that it looks so promising for Republicans to take back the House? No, but I'm really excited about what this next year is going to bring to us, because I think we're going to stop this agenda cold, win back that majority. And I know certainly from the ways means standpoint in House Republicans, I think America is going to see you know, how people actually, leaders actually focus on what matters to families and small businesses. So, no, in fact, I'm going to spend this year helping them get back, helping our team get back the majority. Have you endorsed a candidate? I have not. Uh, who do you have going for your seat? I know one of them is is Luttrell, right? Right. There's, so there's seven or eight, I think, in that, uh, in that seat. Uh, Morgan Luttrell, uh, one of the first to announce, very strong. Candidate, as you know, a great life story, a very serious, I think, candidate, and, and going to do really well in this uh, campaign. There's uh, there are five or yeah, about seven or eight others as well. So we'll see how that goes. I think we have a very conservative district. I think we're going to end up with a, a really an effective conservative uh, representative. We watched Donald Trump get a huge crowd in Arizona. Would you like to see him run again? Uh, you know, I, I think he'd make a great candidate, and he's coming to Conroe here. Uh, at the end of the month where he is um, in my district, Brian, he is hugely popular because he delivered on so much of what he promised as a candidate from the economy to 
to border security, to, to rebuilding the, the uh, military. And so tell you what, if the president wants to run, uh, he's going to be our nominee. Well, wow. very interesting. Uh, thanks so much, uh, Congressman Kevin Brady. Appreciate it. Thanks, Brian. Take care. You got it. one 408 7669 When we come back, I'll take your calls. We're going to do more to know in the back hour. So this might be the only time I can take your calls. So get on board. And then Brett Baer right after that. I'm going to bring him into the DeSantis Trump one-time friends. Are they now rivals? Don't move. Newsmakers and newsbreakers. Hear it first. Only on the Brian Kilmeade Show. The fastest three hours in radio. You're with Brian Kilmeade. The late Maya Angelou has become the first black woman featured on The Quarter, which is not what black people mean when we demand change. Funny. Uh, That was okay. I thought it is, for the most part, they were just so light on Joe Biden. I saw a total agenda on SNL. Again, I don't know why I try to find something different. I think at some point they're going to go back to being funny. And cutting edge, I'm not sure when that'll happen. Don, uh, listening in Canada. Hey, Don. Uh, Yes, uh, good morning. Uh, I'd like to talk about, I'm an American living and working in Canada, and I'd like to talk about the Canadian elections. Um, uh, Before an election, whether it's federal, provincial, or municipal, 60 days before the election, I receive a notice at my house. It asks me uh, if the if my address and name are correct, uh, and then it gives me an authorization to vote. Okay. On election day, I take that to the polling station or to the voting station, and I show that before I can entry into the, enter into the room. I take I'm okay to enter in. I go to a table where there are three scrutineers. I show them that letter, and I show them uh, a photo ID. And only then will they give me a ballot, and I vote in the ballot and take a ticket back to them. And according to the laws, I can only contribute $1,600 Canadian money, which is a lot less American money. And uh, that can go either to A, the political party, or B, the candidate, not, uh, not both. And right. so it's, uh, it's really well uh, the, uh, restricted. And, uh, All right. It, it goes uh, very well. Don, thanks for that Canadian perspective. Raymond, real quick in Pennsylvania. Ray. Yes. You can tell me if I'm wrong, but it's my understanding that the federal constitution, the U.S. Constitution, gives the state legislatures the power and authority to control elections in their particular states. Now, if I'm wrong, you can tell me. But if that was true, then wouldn't any law passed by the Biden administration and Democrats be unconstitutional? Would it not require... Ray, Ray, you're 100% right. But you know, we have a fight. So even if it passed, there's going to be a legal fight, which means it's going to not affect 2022, but they think it's going to be all uh, fought out by 2024. you got to make a stand now. What they could do is they could agree on reforming the electoral process. That would work. The talk show that's getting you talking. You're with Brian Kilmeade. You don't win elections on your base alone. And right. Biden's political problem now is that independents have abandoned him. Hispanics are in the process of abandoning him. So you can reach out to the base. He can try to placate the base, as he's done for much of the last year. It's not going to help him in 2022. He needs to adopt a center-out strategy instead of a left-in strategy. And he also needs to start acting like a president. I mean, you mentioned the motorcade, Andrea. He's been acting more like the head of the Senate Democratic Caucus than the president of the United States of America. He should not keep going up to Capitol Hill. This is, I think, the third time yeah. he's visited Capitol Hill and failed. He needs to stay at 1600 Pennsylvania. I mean, doesn't anyone jump in and say, Mr. President, you can't go. You're going to fail. We don't have the vote. Cinema's on stage. you got to turn around. Or 
uh, know the format next. I would also bring up the fact that a lot of the stuff he's doing is counterintuitive to what's going to help him in the long run because he's embarrassing Democrats. If you don't believe he's hurting Democrats, why wouldn't Stacey Abrams not showing up in Georgia? Listen, you got a few months now into that governor's race. You got more than that, almost a year. And she's not showing up now. That's terrible. Donald Trump spoke in Arizona over the weekend. Huge crowd. Uh, sadly, he keeps bringing up 2020. I don't care how you feel about 2020. It will not help him to keep bringing it up and does not help the push that Democrats have to re- to nationalize the elections either. Here's a little of Donald Trump, what he's expecting and predicting. Cut nine. This November, we have a chance to do something really spectacular, to bring these Marxist monstrosities to a screeching halt. A great red wave is going to begin right here in Arizona, and it's going to sweep across this country, and it's going to wash hundreds and hundreds and thousands and thousands of Democrat socialists out of office with an unstoppable surge of Republican patriots, and they're going to be doing it. You're going to be heading to the polls. This is maybe the most important election we've ever had. But I do believe that 2024 will be even more important. Well, there's no doubt about it. I mean, you got to see how far, think about how far the Republicans have come. One year ago, January 6th had just ended. Uh, the disaster, which it was, it happened after a Trump rally. I don't even care if you believe that Donald Trump had nothing to do with it or everything to do with it. Uh, Donald Trump gets banned from social media. You have Kevin McCarthy up there trying to save any type of support that he might have had hoping that one day to be a speaker and knowing the judges within five points of the last election, Donald Trump gets exiled. He does not show up for the inaugural and the transfer of power. You got to think Republicans are down and we'll have even trouble getting one chamber back in 2022. Uh, now the Democrats are so far down, they have had almost 30 retirements in the House. So now they're pushing and trying to say Republicans are racist and they have to do voter reform. James Clyburn irresponsibly is pushing just flat out uh, fictional tales about what some of these states have done. And he said this yesterday on every network. I think he's still speaking today. Cut 14, which, by the way, is not true. And let me just uh, properly set this up. Republicans and Democrats actually agree on reforming the electoral process. They don't like the vice president having officially gaveling things in. They're also looking at maybe it's not a winner-take-all in these states anymore. Maybe there'll be a reason for Republicans to campaign in California. Maybe there's going to be a reasons for Democrats uh, to campaign in other, in other red states. So here's what Clyburn said, cut 14. The Electoral College will not kick in until 2024. Right. I want to know what's going to happen in 2022 when someone is standing in a line and I need, and need a drink of water. Uh, when you got these six and seven hour waits right. uh, in line uh, in black communities and 20 minutes in white communities. When you've got a committee there uh, set to overturn your vote if they don't like the outcome. So that's the thing uh, that we need to do now. And that has to be done before we have any other elections in this country. And so 2024, we got a lot of time for that. What is he even talking about? I mean, black people waiting in line for five hours with no water. Number one, if you are a concerned citizen and want to give water to people online, you give it to the poll workers and they hand it out. They can hand it out on their own. Has anyone ever gotten a thermos or a water bottle they travel with? Is that possible? Is it possible that race is not involved in this? And I think in Georgia, the average rate was five minutes.
So they mischaracterizing what these laws do that got the baseball to pull their all-star game out. And it's continuing even today, which led to the president's ridiculous speech on Tuesday. Brett Baer knows all about it. Uh, fair and balanced. He's getting set to host his show in just over six hours. Brett, welcome back. Hey, Brett, why is James Clyburn pretending that this is uh, 1876 instead of 2022? Yeah, it's uh, it's interesting to listen to, to Democrats sometimes characterize those uh, voter laws, in particular Georgia. I mean, some some of those laws and changes um, actually expanded hours for voting and didn't uh, restrict them. And you know, it's there's just a a real hypocrisy in talking about the election reform stuff, um, and it's rarely based on fact. I want you to hear what Cassidy said. So Bill Cassidy followed James Clyburn on the show. Hit 15. If these laws are constitutional, they'll be struck down. They're not criminalizing giving people water. They're just saying you can't walk up to them just before they walk in, give them a piece of water, and tell them who to vote for. You can still give water to the people working at the poll. They can distribute it. Now, if you're trying to call the United States of America to unity, trying to get us to where we will come to common ground, you don't end up spreading things that are untrue uh, or, frankly, lies. Uh, and that's why people think we need the filibuster. Otherwise, you're just totally rolled by somebody who's willing to sacrifice truth to pursue their agenda. I think it was telling that two moderates, Bill Cassidy and Mitt Romney, were just fired up pushing back on the president's agenda, economic policies, the filibuster, and then Bill Cassidy going after on what the truth would, as he sees it with voting, which is accurate. Yeah, and it's it's not... You know, there's not nuance here. I mean, it is being talked about the wrong way. And um, and some people are just letting that slide. So, and uh, I think that that's a, a major part. If you're going to talk about what's in bills and election reform, you've got to get what's in there. You know, um, we just had a, I, I, you just missed it. But Mac, Matthew Conanini over the weekend, I meet the press said it's totally irresponsible for the president and, and self-defeating for the president to keep going up to Capitol Hill and keep failing like he did last week. Talk about failing. If they have a vote tomorrow on overriding the filibuster and this voting right, it's going to fail. What would be the point of Senator Schumer doing that, or don't you expect it? Because that's what they're saying is going to happen. Yeah, I mean, it's um, he's promised a vote, and he says he's going to move forward with it. Uh, the question is, you know, not only is it Cinema and Mansion, but I think there are other uh, Democrats who may vote against the changes. And you put those people who are up for reelection in jeopardy, potentially, from the um, progressive side of their party. So I don't know the strategy. I know that he's trying to fulfill a promise, but uh, right now the votes are not there. A couple of things going on on the Republican side. The president of the United States got a huge, the former president of the United States got a huge crowd in Arizona. But sadly for him, he's talking way too much about 2020. Nobody cares. There's been no proof about any of this uh, election uh, fraud. Uh, I know he feels that way, and I know people that with him a lot and says he absolutely feels it to the core of his being. But his legal team has not proven anything, and nobody knows that better than you. But now Axios is writing some pretty good sources that behind the scenes, Trump and and DeSantis, the governor of Florida, seem to be uh, sniping at each other, that Trump uh, really wants DeSantis to pledge not to run if he runs. What are you hearing? Yeah, I mean, I've heard those same things uh, behind the scenes. But, um, you know, 
It's really interesting. Uh, if you look at what DeSantis is saying publicly, it seems like he's putting a little distance between himself and the former president uh, in a couple of recent things he said. And, you know, I think that's a dynamic that's really going to determine a lot in the next, you know, after the midterms. Whether Donald Trump runs again is the political question for both parties. So DeSantis said on the Ruthless podcast recorded on Thursday, one of the biggest regrets in office was not speaking out much louder in March 2020 when Trump advised the American public to stay home and slow the spread for the coronavirus. So he's pushing back on that. And he also said he uh, was pushing on Trump to ban the flights from China quicker than he actually did it. And then behind the scenes, Donald Trump is telling friends that DeSantis is an ingrate with a dull personality. Man, I see the Republicans, if they go at it, don't you see Republicans losing in that? Well, you know, anytime you have an inter-party squabble like that, yeah, there's there's a downside. Um, you know, there's a lot going in the Republicans' favor right now, and uh, the wind's at their back as they head into the midterms. But you're right. If if um, the former president continues to talk about the election of 2020, it does not get independents or center-right Republicans. Hey, Brett, do you have any insight on what led Cinema to speak before the president arrived uh, last week? No, I don't, but it was pretty bold. I mean, think about that. He's on his way to Capitol Hill, and she takes to the floor to say, don't bother coming. I mean, it was really quite something. And, you know, she is she is that kind of um, politician. You know, she, I think, enjoys the spotlight and, um, and enjoys being in the maverick role. Uh, no question. Now, the big question is, if there's a vote Tuesday— are people who are really concerned and should be concerned about their reelection, like Mark Kelly, like Maggie Hassan of New Hampshire, are, are they people? Are they going to roll in and they going to vote for the filibuster, even though it's going to fail? Are they going to join the two and be the one of the uh, maybe up to five that vote against overturning the filibuster? I mean, is it, is this a vote that could really hurt the prospects for these republic these Democrats in a tough race? Yeah, there is not an upside to this. I mean, they can be courageous and vote like they've been talking about and vote against it. But um, you'd probably get a lot of pushback from the progressive side of the party. And in a tight election, you need all those people to turn out. And uh, arguably, Mark Kelly's facing a tight election. Yeah. Uh, and by the way, he's been invisible for a guy, a tough military guy that shoots himself into space as an astronaut. I don't see him out there on any issue. Do you? No, I've asked for an interview many, many times, and uh, he does not. He's not been coming out. Does he all. not want the job? I, I mean, he does. I think he's trying to stay uh, uh, incognito so that he kind of goes under the radar. Right, um, much like us, we just don't want to be bothered. Uh, Brett's book is to to rescue the republic, Ulysses S. Grant, the fragile union, and the crisis of eighteen seventy six. But his next challenge. Uh, is the all-star panel event um, that's going to be uh, in benefit for the Children's National Hospital. That'll be February 19th, 2022. Among the people uh, scheduled to appear, Dana Perino, Jesse Waters, Harris Faulkner, Shannon Bream, uh, and me. Uh, the Ritz-Carlton Golf Resort. With you. Yeah, I should have led with me. What am I thinking? Uh, the Ritz-Carlton yeah. Golf Resort in Naples. Now, there's only a handful of tickets left. Are you, is it still possible to get tickets? They're gone, Brian. All of your listeners have purchased all of the tickets. 
It's All sold right. out. Wow, VIP tickets too? Everything gone? Everything is gone. There are people banging down the doors because, you know, they all listen to your radio show and you manage to sell them all. Yeah, and you do have a TV show. I think that helped a little. Uh, well, maybe. Yeah. Brett, I'll, I'll watch you tonight at 6. I'll see you in person soon. All right. Go yeah. get him. one 888 We're going to come back to find out if there's indeed a need to know more. Educating. Entertaining. Enlightening. You're with Brian Kilmeade. He's so busy, he'll make your head spin. It's Brian Kilmeade. Welcome back, everyone. It's time for me to find out if I need to know more. More to know. All right, Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Tom Brady did another great thing. This guy, Noah Reeb, well, he's a 10-year-old. He's got brain cancer, loves football, loves Brady. So Brady decided to give him a surprise. Let's listen. Hey, Noah, what's up, man? Happy New Year. But earlier... You held up that sign that I helped you beat brain cancer. Well, listen, your fight, you've inspired so many people, including myself, but millions of others also. And the NFL and the Bucks look forward to sending deserving fans to the Super Bowl each year and fans that have incredible stories like the one you've had. So as a thank you, I worked with both the Bucks and the NFL to get you and your family Super Bowl tickets this year in L.A. We certainly hope to be there, but I know you're going to be there. Glad to see you're doing well. Take care, man. And uh, enjoy the tickets. So what do you say to Tom Brady in that phone? Thank you so much. <laughs> you say, let's go Bucks. Let's go Bucks. Right, he wants the Bucks to win, but whether the Bucks go or not, he's going. But who knows? After last week's game, I think the Bucks um, as good a shot as anybody. Look out, uh, Green Bay. Now, it was a great story because it was right after a game that he was holding up the sign. Somebody pointed yep. out to Brady. He went right to the stands, gave him a cap. And shadow with the kid. He's a great guy. Yeah. Next, Martin Luther King Jr. Day is today. And today they have a handwritten draft pages from the book for sale for $225,000. Uh, the, the civil rights icons book, Stride Towards Freedom, the Montgomery Story, are up for sale on momentsintime.com. They previously have been part of a private collection. The book was first published in 1958 when King was 29. The handwritten pages are from Chapter 3 when King writes about the significance of this emerging civil rights moment, chronicling how Rosa Parks refused to give up her bus seat uh, to a white person. Uh, that was back in 1955. And then all the way, their journey all the way through. Uh, so that is worth it. Next. The Muhammad Ali walkout rope from the iconic 1965 Sonny Liston fight is up for auction, up for $500,000. Ali put it on on his way to the ring in the rematch. So you're talking about Lewiston, Maine. Uh, Ali not only knocked Liston out, uh, but the fight also marked the first time he had boxed under the name Muhammad Ali, following the first match with Liston in 1964. The rematch uh, with Liston a year later, just before he won a convincing and convincing fashion. A lot of people think uh, Liston threw that fight. And Ali famously said it was the bolo punch that knocked him out. What were your thoughts on that? Do you think, he clearly did hit him, but did he hit him with a hard enough shot to, to truly knock him out? Don Dunphy says, no way. He says, I watched uh, Sonny Liston get hit by billy clubs and stare back at the cop. But we'll see. Next, Tesla has inked a deal to get a key battery component outside of China. Good job. They're going to turn to Mozambique for this key component. Uh, Musk Company signed an agreement last month with Australia's uh, Syrah. Resources, which operates one of the world's largest gra- uh, graphite mines in South Africa. Of course, you need that for your batteries. It's a unique partnership between the electric vehicle manufacturer and the producer of the mineral. See, why let China go mine it when you Mozambique can get it themselves and then sell it themselves? Uh, by the way, Tesla will buy the material from the company's processing plant 
uh, in Louisiana. So that's pretty cool. Remember, they relocated to Austin. Next, Scream beats Spider-Man, gets $30 million. I feel like this is uh, somewhat normal. Remember, we used to do the box offices all the time. Sing 2, which I never heard. The 355, I think, is a spy novel based on the Culper spy ring. I have to look into that. Made just $2.3 million. I wanted to see the underdog, but it made just a million dollars, 1.6. Yeah, that's the football story, L.A. Rams. I think, uh, it does look interesting, but I also wonder how streaming is impacting some of these movies on the bottom end of the Yeah, list. because sometimes they stream them first. Yeah, they stream King them first. King Richard or, is the movie of the year. Yeah, or like with the new Batman movie that's coming out, it's going to be 30 days in the theater, and then it's going to be on streaming. So you wait a month, you can see it on your TV set. Next, three in five people hate how their own smile looks. This is according to a recent study. Uh, people's online presence can affect how others perceive them. Results now show that people look at the photos and videos, 52%, their spelling and grammar, 49%, and the types of contests they post, 48%. Mostly it's on looks. More respondents, 71%, prefer this photo because they feel they look their best in it over the lightning and composition of the image. So three in four Americans add they don't always smile in photos. That's a fascinating study that I really wish I didn't read. Yeah, I just worry about, you know, I don't like other people's smiles like Eric over here. Thanks. I'm Charles Payne. Listen to my Unstoppable Prosperity podcast so I can get you making money right now. Whether stocks are hitting new all-time highs or in free-fall mode, opportunities abound. So why are so many potential investors still sitting on the sidelines? In a new season of my podcast, I'm going to get you in the game. After 38 years on Wall Street, I'm ready to impart some lessons and get you invested in the greatest wealth-generating machine in history. Listen anytime, everywhere at foxbusinesspodcast.com or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.